which isn't a podcast, it's more a conversation with friends. These aren't recorded in studios or pretending to be award-winning radio. My name is Kirsty Allison, I'm founder of Cold Lips, I'm writer, performer and author and I've worked as a journalist since I was a teenager and my fiction, poetry and other work is published pretty widely. You can subscribe for exclusive writing and more by visiting kirstyallison.substack.com and I'm sending out books as thank yous to subscribers because I love you and it takes a lot of money, time and effort to create all of this and to keep it online and to keep the faith. So yeah, if you can throw us some money to subscribe to buy, it keeps it going. So, uh, this is brilliantly edited by the fabulous Sebastian Bowden, so thanks to him so much. So, it's my pleasure to share this conversation with someone I'm delighted to call a friend and collaborator, Danielle de Picciotto. I always say that wrong, uh, but she was recommended to me through Chris Bone, the founder of The Wire magazine. Uh, So he kind of said, Kirst, I think you should read this book. And he passed me this red book called The Beauty of Transgression, published by Gesh Dalton. And I read it and it's her diary of moving from Parsons Fashion School in New York into a flat with bad seeds before working with Dimitri Hegeman, who founded Trezor at his first club, the UFO. And then she started a band and just this little thing called the Love Parade with her ex-boyfriend. And that, you know, gathered to be a million and a half people when the Berlin Wall collapsed. So she's kind of a huge part of Berlin subculture. And she's married now to Alexander Hacker from Einstein Neubarten, who I'm also probably pronouncing incorrectly. But they collaborate as Hacker de Picciotto. And she also works as a painter and is working on a graphic novel currently and a large collection of work in Berlin, which is scheduled to show at the Neurotician Gallery in October 2020. September, October 2020. And she describes herself as a multimedia artist and as I also work across mediums, finding one, you know, video influencing poetry and poetry influencing how you might write something and kind of working, you know, photography or whatever it is, you know, kind of although I personally call myself a writer primarily, I do like the expansion into different fields which kind of help you reduce back into the black and white of writing personally and at the moment she's in a music phase and so we caught up in her studio in Vedding and yeah here we go I think it's great that that whole environmentalistic way of thinking is back because in the 90s I didn't you know, I didn't really make much myself in that way. And ever since it's kind of been a, an issue, like, like let's say since 2000, um, I've gotten back into the same kind of mindset that I had in the 80s. It's like, do everything yourself, use fabric, use vintage stuff. And it somehow makes you so much more, I don't know, 
creative than when you go out shopping. Yeah. You know, it's incredible how it changes you when you you think about doing it yourself, you know, growing your own food, making your own furniture, making your own clothes, becoming independent of that whole market. It really kind of changes your brain into something completely active. It's great. I was just at London Fashion Week and having to go past the Extinction Rebellion people who look way more stylish yeah. than the people inside yeah. who are wearing, you know, stuff that's damaged the environment a million times. Yeah. So they're all having these conversations about what fashion is. And it's kind of interesting, kind of how it is influencing the whole uh, the whole industry at the moment. Everyone is so sustainability aware, but ultimately it's just quite an oxymoron. We all need clothes, um, but, you know, we all have to have to wear but there's so much waste and there's so there is and, and luxury blames the high street but at the same time you know they're they're still encouraging and fetishizing fetishizing kind of new garb yeah totally so it's yeah. kind of yeah i remember like in the um when i was doing fashion in the early 90s that was the time of the um acid rain you know oh. when everybody like when all the forests were dying oh. because of that and so like the whole at the beginning of the techno scene too, people were like speaking about different kinds of fabric for the first time in England. They were actually making fabric that was that breathed, that had a different way of breathing so that um, you would like, um, that's actually what they said, something that had not been said before. It breathes and everybody's like, what is that? And um, I did things where I was like, okay, if there's gonna be acid rain, I wanna wear something that's gonna not let the rain through. And so I made clothes out of all out of um plastic table tablecloths. Yeah, like tablecloths. Yes. Yeah, and I was wearing one of those dresses. I had a black one. I bet that was dope. And that's when Alex actually he drove he didn't know who I was mm -hmm. and he drove past me on a bicycle. I was waiting at the at a bus station. I was wearing one of these dresses that was like a black plastic tablecloth with white <laughs> plastic lacing and I had a beehive and he actually had to get off his bike and sit down. He's telling me about that. Yeah. yeah. And I was wearing one of those things because of the acid rain. And it's, you know, that's that's the reason why I made it. And that was the first time I started doing things because of the environment. Mm. And it just made you look at different fabrics in a completely different way. And I think that's what's happening today mm. again. And people are dressing in a more interesting way than mm. for almost a decade because yeah, of that. Yeah, people are looking interesting again. Yeah, sure. it's fantastic. Yeah. And the whole, you know, the whole gender movements, all the different ones, they're also generating all kinds of really great looks mm. and different looks. It's just, I love it. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. And it does feed back into the machine as well. So that kind of, it does make the fashion industry more interesting as a result of that. And they are having to react against kind of bad polluting the environment with really bad chemicals too. They just seem like really old fashioned. Yeah, yeah. It's funny because I read this article in uh, this Vogue edition not long ago, which was all about environmentalists. Mm. And they seem really old fashioned because they just weren't radical enough. Right, you yeah. Know? yeah. So it's, it's interesting because it really does um, change. All of a sudden things that are like hip are totally yeah, well, fashion, fashion isn't fashionable. That's yeah, basically exactly. So, which is kind of fascinating. Yeah, it's great. Yeah, it's great. Other rebels. Yeah, yeah. yeah so, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah so, I think it's yeah. fun. It's yeah. like the first time in ages mm. that it's actually made me want to, you know, think about clothes again. Mm. I haven't thought about that for for ages because mm. I was just so bored with it. 
And now that it's become something which is actually radical, um, again, depending on what you wear, I mean, even the vegan thing, mm. you know, to actually be able to dress vegan um, and still look good mm. is like, you know, is... Yeah, I remember the first vegan shoes I saw in Covent Garden. Yeah. And they were sandals. They were pretty, yeah, and there wasn't that much choice in them. Yeah. But yeah, they kind of... Now they've really, I mean, yeah. there's, they're yeah, I mean, really moving fast. Yeah, I mean, Sarah great for that. Yeah. yeah. She's really sort of pushed it. And I think also with the whole sort of mushroom sort of movement of people kind of using technology to work out how we are going to live on the planet for longer. Yeah. There's some, you know, like you can build your houses out of mushroom stuff. Yeah. Yeah, there's a lot of interesting things going on that hopefully will react to Extinction Rebellion and people doing, kind of asking, yeah. asking for it. Because it will make Primark and, you know, the sort of the affordable market. I think that it will. I mean, things are changing so fast in every way at the moment, like be it the environment or be it socially or politically or... Um, even the viruses, all these different things are changing the whole feel of um, of everything. I don't think there's really going back, you know. I don't think so. I think it's like we're being thrust forwards towards the future and we still have the possibility of kind of influencing it. But I don't think that going back is an option anymore, mm. you know. Which is kind of exciting because if you kind if you still have the option that it could be something positive, then it's very exciting because there are so many people that are actually changing the way they think about certain things. You know, becoming aware, um, becoming aware of how they live, becoming aware. I mean, I can just speak of myself, but the the way I've changed in the last five years, becoming aware of what I eat, what I drink, what chemicals I use. Um, in what environment I want to live, um, experimenting with gardening. I mean, I would have never thought I would ever do that. I mean, come on, I was a nightclub girl. <laughs> it's like all the things I've been doing the last four or five years, I don't smoke anymore. I mean, I would have never thought I would do that. And it's kind of opened this new, this new um, super exciting realm and I meet more and more people that are doing that as well, be it in Tallinn or in um, Amsterdam or in um, Romania, wherever I go, you know, Tasmania, Australia. You can see people everywhere that are super hip and super cool and super radical. And I think that that's a lot more um, important nowadays than, um, I don't know, almost even more important than an art installation. Like it's kind of like art used to be the most important thing for me. Nowadays it's it's together with that whole um, awareness of what's well, going it's, it's on. It's an ethical awareness because we're, yeah. in, we're in such times where there are no ethics coming from on top. The only way you can have power is to have that individual power of consumption or lack of so it's maybe a way that we can hold on to things by being vegan or being yeah. kind of, you know, being very careful of what we're buying, using places where they refill your bottles rather than use new ones right. all the time. Yeah. I mean, oh, God, just going, just going shopping is like yeah. a crisis. Yeah, but it makes you think. 
yeah. it kind of like yeah, yeah. jolts you back yeah. to life yeah. away from that complacency yeah. that was you know when when bush was president mm. everybody's like everybody's mm. so complacent everybody's mm. like nobody's moving mm. and all of a sudden people are being jolted back to wait i have to think <laughs> yeah well it's maybe because of kind of maybe that's a side effect of this kind of hashtag identity politics that is kind of cornering and rounding people up into stupid arguments that obsess them into kind of thinking that that's their only power of choice yeah you know maybe a side effect of what i see of that as being entitled anxiety you know the kind of the the flip of that is actually by you know our power of consumption is all we have left yeah and there, and there is a good side of that yeah yeah and maybe that it you know because we've all got to have control haven't we in, in one element or another yeah and when we've got so little yeah when you're not dependent on it yeah you know when you don't care I mean that's a thing. If you don't, I mean, you work really hard to be independent of it, haven't you? Should we give you yeah. give the listeners a proceeds of your life? Okay. Yeah. Where do I start? <laughs> <laughs> uh, you you could start way back. Uh. <laughs> not, not that far. Back. <laughs> I mean, Berlin. We're here in Berlin at the moment. Uh huh. Okay. Yeah. Mm. Well, you grew up in America, right? I grew up in America. I was born in Tacoma. I moved to Berlin in 87 by chance. I came here because I wanted to visit a friend and I just fell in love with the city. So I stayed and um, I've kind of stayed here ever since, although 2010, um, I became tired of the gentrification and I was like, I don't really feel comfortable having to slave away for my rent. Um, and so I decided that I wanted to free myself of the rent and convinced my poor husband that we were going to become nomads. And so we did. We gave up two thirds of what we had and um, we've been traveling ever since. And I want we, I, my, you know, we originally thought that we we're going to do it for 18 months because we were kind of convinced we'd find a place where there were still cheap rents and artist friendly and kind of heavenly the way Berlin was in the 80s. Um, didn't find that and have been traveling ever since, still kind of looking for that possibility. Um, but it was, it was a really interesting thing to do that because um, one of the things that's always been really important for me is to be free, to be independent. Um, in every single way. I didn't, I've never wanted to follow a trend, um, not in my music, not in my art, not in anything I've done. I always wanted it to be um, very, in, you know, very me. And I didn't want to have to do anything that somebody else would dictate to me. So if you want to do that, the only way you can do it is you have to give up certain things because if you want to um, have everything, you just can't. <laughs> so if you want to have a big house and lots of stuff, then you're not going to be free because that in itself is going to kind of entrap you. Um, we had a house here in Berlin that had five stories and it was completely full of stuff. I had, I think, 5,000 books. And my husband had like, I don't know, 3,000 CDs and I don't know how many guitars were, you know, both musicians, pianos. And it was just like so much stuff. And um, giving it up was really interesting because it was so exhausting to let go. 
And then when we did let go, it was so incredibly liberating. And um, it kind of, I mean, it's nice to have stuff. Um, I still have a lot of books, but through that process, I honestly kind of have stopped caring about it, which is kind of interesting. Like when we tour, and we tour a lot and all the time because we're still nomads, each of us has two suitcases and they're mainly filled with instruments and electronics. Like I just went on tour for 10 days in Austria and I had so many electronical instruments with me that I could honestly just take one pair of trousers with me three t-shirts and one sweater. That was it. And that's very little for that amount of time. And I mean, I studied fashion, so I do like fashion, but I just couldn't take more because it was too heavy. And at one point I just stopped caring. It's not that I don't take care of myself, but it's like, it's just stuff, yeah, you know? Yeah. And the fact that I can do this tour and I'm presenting my music um, and people really like it um, and we're you know successful in doing that, is kind of enough. It really is. And it's, it's, I used to be different. You know, I used to travel and take like two suitcases full of clothes, shoes, and art books. Shoes. You can only take one. Shoes. shoes right? Yeah. I mean, that's the thing. Yeah. Like two max. And yeah. That's it. That's yeah. It. Like, yeah. You know, yeah. but when you get used to it, it's kind of like, yeah. Mm -hmm. What, what is it that is really important, you know, for yourself? What is, is that one thing that you really, really, really don't want to, you know, miss? I was writing to an editor in London that I met at Fashion Week and, uh, and I said, yeah, I'm just going on a bit of a spirit wander for a little while. She said, I love that idea. So yeah, and it is, it's kind of, I think you give yourself a lot more freedom by not having quite so much gear around you. But it's like, you know, I, I like having a base. Yeah, I, I didn't know that about myself. Yeah. It's actually quite, quite... Grounding. Grounding. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, but I mean, that's a luxury. Yeah. So it's, or it feels like a luxury. It's like, yeah. It is. I mean... Um, but you've got beautiful... You've got beautiful his and her studios here. Yeah. Yeah, that's luxury. That's, you know, thanks to Berlin where the rents are still mm. okay. I mean, no, I... These two studios in New York or London probably would cost like 10 times as yeah, much. Yeah, they would, yeah. So yeah. we're really lucky in that way. Mm. And I mean, you know. Yeah, that's... but you deserve it. I mean, your establishment and you create, you know, your leaders in everything that makes Berlin sexy for artists anyway. Thanks. And you did, well, no, but you did it first and you created yeah. so much of the cultural legacy here. You know, you shouldn't be having to pay rent. True, that's what I think. Like, no, you really shouldn't. Yeah. You know, you deserve it. Like, red carpets rolling out on the street you know it's kind of yeah it would be yeah. great to to have that um recognition for you know yeah. everybody that's done 30 years of of cultural work um but that's not the way our society well, I works think, but i think also Most people in berlin want... what's interesting is it's kind of because it's such a fast turnover of people here and there's always kind of new people in town they don't know the history I mean, they don't necessarily know. You know, it's like, I love Parade. You right. Know, it's like, oh, right. yeah, I think I know about that. But yeah. you actually, you don't. You're just blagging it. Yeah. Um, yeah, I was, I was telling people about the cultural history of London and Acid House and, you know, the difference between the sanitization of 
the super club into sort of government sponsored alco pops and then spiral tribe and all the rest of it kind of just being the the dirty alternative that you had to be quite a rebel to follow through and those kind of those indicators but people you know these people are speaking to at this book you know exhibition launch the other day they they haven't heard of that you know because there's such a lack of sort of narrative um beyond trash and distraction and mouths and sparkling lights and love island and yeah and stuff. it's disappearing it's, really it's, fast. It's, yeah yeah so you have to be quite Shocking. focused yeah true to kind of care true really. and i don't know if there's enough enough um and and you know maybe it's this thing about actually there there's an ethical thing overcoming the arts and if you know everybody does become so so artistically possible and we're all publishing all the time so therefore we're all poets we're all artists we're all photographers you know there's, there's no policing on on quality within that either so we're maybe in this sort of um eon of frustration <laughs> 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 yeah, no, but I don't know. I think it's uh, you know what you're doing here is 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 great. It's dreamy. Um, well, you know, I think that because of the the um, global globalization of everything, everything's becoming more and more alike. And um, even if every artist feels really deeply about what they're doing, I go, I travel, and I see all these things, and I mean, it's all so much alike. It's really. It's really interesting because in a way everybody can do it, but still it's kind of like it always has been. There's only a few that actually really stand out because they're not like everything else and they're not like everybody else. So that kind of gives you hope that, you know, even if there is no real, um, like you said, you know, um, judging or anybody who can judge because everybody can judge for themselves, you can still tell that there's people who do manage to get out of that sameness and create something that's individual but in general i think that you know i think art is very very important and i think music is very very important and i think that literature is but i think that somebody said not long ago to me i said you know berlin's actually not as as creative as it used to be in the way that it's not as individual because even with Berlin, it's become very globalized because there's so many people coming here and, you know, it's... And he said, I don't think that Berlin's role nowadays is to be the leader of the world in art. I think it's, um, it's, I think it's a political stance that Berlin has because Berlin's always been kind of like rude and... And they've always kind of been pretty radical. It's always been a demonstration city. And it's, they've, you know, the, the demonstrations they're having because of the rent. And now it's been frozen for five years. You know, they, they froze the rent yeah. now for five years. Yeah. That's typical Berlin because um, they, just, they just get so angry. And they're actually, they're like, no, mm-hmm. we're not going to do this. And so he was saying that I think that um, that's the most important responsibility Berlin has at the moment is to like upkeep that kind of spirit. Sure. And there's so many people coming and going that they kind of get a bite of that too, which is interesting mm-hmm. because I have a similar feeling. Mm-hmm. I think, you know, I'm an artist and it's the most important thing in my life, but still I think that whole radical stance of 
what's happening to us on all kinds of different levels and how aware are we of what is happening and what are we doing to stop certain things and what how much are we like you know doing to participate i think that's really important on the smallest level up to the biggest level you know i mean hamburg just free bought their energy around the city for back to the people from the private companies you know and that would never happen in the uk yeah i can't imagine it happening in many other places really i mean you know we if we go and demos in london they don't make any difference yeah you know and i'm sorry to say that yeah but i mean i've never you know it's rare to see you know and show up at you know feet down but yeah it's uh yeah, it's interesting. They still make a difference here. It's, do they, yeah. Yeah, yeah, they do. They absolutely do. The politicians listen and watch. Maybe it's because, you know, Germany still has that whole huge guilt mm. feeling of, you know, what yeah, happened. Yeah. yeah, and so they yeah. know what happens if you don't see the signs of what is happening. And because they've, you know, they've kind of been um, under that guilt for you know, ever since, mm. maybe they're more careful mm. than other countries are, but they do listen and they do watch, like that thing that just happened, you know. Mm. Um, I mean, the reactions were very, very strong on all sides about mm. that's not possible, racism shouldn't be happening here. And mm. so maybe because of that whole guilt that the country has carried for such a long time, they're in the unique position of, you know, being extremely careful of trying not to have that happen again. Mm. It's kind of interesting. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, they've... Yeah, I mean, it's very lucky. I mean, you know, there's so much more racism happening in London on public transport. There are, you know, there's definitely been an increase of police reports that I've noticed on uh, my social media feeds of people suffering. Yeah. And having to report things to the police. Yeah. And, uh, you know, the whole idea of what... Yeah, it's just disgusting and embarrassing because everything that Acid House did to bring people together is just getting completely destroyed. Yeah. And it's so retrogressive and it's such a distraction from kind of where where technology could be leading us and, and where freedoms could go. And yeah. It's just... It's quite depressing. It's kind of funny because um, my partner, whom I did... The love parade in the um, 80s, he's trying to get another one going. Mm. He wants to do a new similar project and he's been trying to finance it now for half a year. And he's been asking people on a pretty high level, like, you know, do you want a love parade back Mm. or do you want to do something like the love parade? He's, He's calling it Rave the World. And... It's a really odd thought because think if I think of trying to get together 1.5 million people to mm. dance together nowadays is such a different, completely different situation I mean, than people, when we did it in the yeah. 90s. Like yeah. everything's changed so yeah. much. Well, people don't go out quite as much anymore either because yeah. they participate by being online. So, yeah. I mean, with the sort of music that you do live, you know, I'm sure that that has an audience. You know, because it's yeah. the sort of thing that people go to in a more spiritual sense. But kind of with a lot of nights for the sake of nights, 
I think, you know, people are complaining about clubs closing, but I do think that there's an element of that, that culture is actually changing so that we don't need the underground to be an thing in existence quite as much because we find our own tribes online and there's a lot more of an online culture. So yeah, uh, I think that there's an element of that. But, uh, you know, uh, I, I just think that the culture has been wiped out. There's a brilliant Jeremy Della film, Everybody in the Place. I don't know if you saw yeah. that. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, you know, he's educating people on a possible lifestyle. Yeah. And for them, it just looks like madness. Now. Yeah. I mean, because it's just so far out. Yeah. So then, the, yeah, the, the idea of what is socially acceptable, because we're in such a Foucaultian kind of mirror chamber of just kind of our social behaviour being, you know, we are our own police. So, yeah. Uh, it's very self-conscious society at the moment rather than an expressionistic one, or the only expressionistic one you can have is being a sort of a, you know, super PC kind of, yeah, well, that doesn't fit with my intersectionality kind of voice. So, you know, that's good to define those things and it's good to kind of be, you know, understand who we are and actually understand how how we operate together. But I think that there's this, there's this issue between unity and individualism that... Is, is of our times at the moment. Um, I think it's, I think it must be linked to sort of capital kind of demands of, of politics, really. And I don't quite understand it, but you know, when you tie in Cambridge Analytica and those sorts of right. bodies into, into where we are and, you know, kind of how our voices are being expressed, um, you know, it's just like, say this gig that I did the other night with this, uh, this um, you know, heckler kind of making someone anxious on stage. And right. she left stage. You uh -huh. know, I, was I was quite shocked by her anxiety. She and, left? Yeah, 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 she walked off, yeah. Um, yeah, that's, it's, that's quite a brave, brave reaction. To, to walk off stage? To walk off stage. Huh. Yeah. Yeah, because you're not comfortable with the way the audience is making you feel. Yeah. It's kind of, you know, we're in a very, very volatile space at the moment. Absolutely. Mm. Absolutely. Yeah. But I think that, um, I don't know, I mean, in a way, I think that becoming too sensitive um, it's, I mean, it's always kind of about the same thing. It's about finding what is good and healthy for yourself. And at the same time, seeing yourself as part of society. Mm. You know, I mean, it's, that's like, that's, I think that's the most difficult thing. Um, as women, it's really like, you know, the way women are raised, treated, the situation of women in general. Most women are always thinking about others first. Mm -hmm. um, and it's really, really important for us to learn what do we feel about it. Yeah, for instance, you know. people up to, to be like that. Exactly. Kind of to, to actually care about how... Um, we feel about it. So I think I'm late to date on a lot of that. Yeah, really, same here. Yeah. But at the same time, thinking that way shouldn't um, 
estrange you from the world and that's the, the important thing like yeah. the important balance mm -hmm. and sometimes when people are too sensitive it turns into um barriers yeah and i think that's one huge problem that we have in general today that there's mm -hmm. black or white basically you know there's those and us it's always like it's just it's yeah, there's yeah. no nuances yeah. Yeah. you know it's yeah. like um, there's too many confrontations of two groups mm. instead of, and I mean, you know, I've done therapy for a long, long time and it's mainly been about trying to, um, get to acknowledge myself and all the themes, be it, you know, racism, be it discrimination, be it gender. It's all about that basically of like, you know, I'm there and I want to be respected and have the right to be respected and I have the right to do things in a way which are healthy for myself and that make me happy. But if I as a woman um, am so sensitive that every single discrimination that happens, yes, and it yeah. happens every yeah. single day, it does happen every yeah. single day, and that happens at least a hundred times per day. Now if I would be calling that out every single time, I would just be, you know, constantly fighting with everybody and estranging myself from everybody and I wouldn't be able to function in the world so the the the, the thing that I'm trying I think that in general that's something that's really part of the times is trying to find a balance between those two things yeah, yeah. it's really important yeah. and it's really difficult yeah 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 like I, I, it's, it's just cut the cultural behavior to kind of I think you know, in social media things, just echo chamber too. So yeah, um, you kind of have to even be policing yourself with trends within that in kind of how you're how you're behaving. Yeah. So yeah. But I think that, I think it's really interesting because it's kind of like having to think about yourself and your environment at the same time, mm. which is like a um, contradiction in a way. Mm. But that's the thing that we have to achieve. Mm. Which is crazy. Do you find that you do that differently on stage to in every day? Well, on stage, it's uh, an incredible energy flow. Well, it's actually no, it's the same thing, because um, I'm playing music that gives me energy that I composed in a way to give me energy, mm. and by playing it, I give energy to others. Yeah, yeah. So that's kind of the magic mm. of it, which is really mm. great because. I mean, it's the songs are pretty intense, the new ones, and to play them um, is like is like really intense work because I'm constantly changing instruments and it's really fast and um, it's a huge amount of energy, um, but it's it really affects the audience and it affects myself at the same time in a positive way, which is great, mm -hmm. and that's kind of what. I, I want to achieve for myself as a human being in general. Mm. Mm. I don't know, like, you know, we both do spoken word and I think words are really important. Like, I, I don't know, it's, it's like in the last years, there's, I have these phases where certain words just give me so much energy and so much joy and um, because they're being like erased, like kindness or compassion or friendship, you know, like 
speaks about that nowadays in the news. Mm. Nobody cares. Mm. And when you hear it, when you hear that word, it's like, wow, it's like... Oh, it's warming, isn't it? It's, I mean, it's totally... Thing, yeah. Just to hear sort of generous, positive yeah. words. Yeah. And like on our album, the first song, I say all men are created equal. Mm. And then I say um, all people are created equal. And then all are created equal. And just saying those sentences, mm. they do something to you. Yeah. And I say it every, it's the first song mm. we play. Mm. And I say it every evening. And it really does something to you. And it does something to people. Just to say that, mm. you know, mm. it's incredible. Yeah, because you're creating a space as well. And you're creating, the, you know, that reality for people there too. Yeah. So, yeah. And they're not new words. They're not new sentences. They've been around for a long, long time. Yeah, but people need you know? to hear it in an aggressive communication structure. Yeah. <laughs> kind of contemporary uh, world, right? Yeah. So, Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's really powerful, your album. And it's kind of, it's darker as well than the previous one, isn't it? It's kind of, there is a an under, there's a whirl going around it. Current. That's, yeah, there's a current, yeah, that's yeah. cool. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but that's so, and you recorded it in Blackpool. Yeah. 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 That was great. That Paris was... to the North. Yeah. Yes, Paris yeah. to the North. Yeah. Um, that was, that was really interesting because, I mean, Blackpool, you know, it has its own history and it's kind of, it reminded me of Detroit in a way that it had its heyday. And nowadays it's, I don't know, it's everybody I, I told that we were recording in Blackpool in England, they were like, Blackpool? Yeah, I was a bit like that. What? Yeah, yeah. You weren't the only one. We got really <laughs> shocked reactions. And um, it was really interesting. It was really, actually, it was really nice being there. It was so quiet. You mm. know, it really made you... I don't know, feel the nature. Yeah. Well, there's a lot of energy up there. I mean, my totally. publisher, my, the publisher of my novels up in Hull, and I've just been reading like Ben Myers, um, The Offing and stuff. And there is, you know, we've got friends who live up in Derby that girls recording with at the moment. And there's a different energy up there. Yeah. Yeah. And it's a pure, it's a sort of a lot purer in a lot of ways than. It um, is. Yeah. It really is. Yeah. Yeah, it's got a strong identity. It's great. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's really great. And, you I, know, I follow they're... this Twitter account for this uh, this poet, uh, Dean Wilson, and he does a he does a pebble every day from the beach in Withensnee, and it's kind of it's just a, it is a connection. It's one of the connections I have with nature. Yeah. Bizarrely, it's through a Twitter account. Wow. Yeah, seeing him walking the beaches. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but there's nothing as good as a real thing. No, no, not at all, yeah. <laughs> and it was amazing to, we, we could look out onto the beach from our window and um, just to see the water, to see the Irish Sea when you mm. wake up in the morning, just to look out over it. It's it's pretty incredible, yeah. you know, it's such it's such a simple thing, but I mean... Oh, I was just in London does watching the sun come up over the ocean. Yeah. And I just made a promise to myself that I'd watch the sunset every day. Yeah. And I totally did. And it's just like, wow, in my flat, I mean, I don't really see... No. ...see the sun so much. Oh, here so, in my studio in the basement. Yeah. yeah. Don't see it at all. Right, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It makes, a, it makes a huge difference. It really does. Yeah, simple, simple stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And then, so you're mid tour at the moment. 
And then, so you're going to go back on the road again. And then you are working on an amazing exhibition that's coming up. Yeah, um, I'm going to be doing... Because um, you've of, not shown her stuff. No. I've been kind of painting for the last five years without showing because I, I just wanted to kind of get a body of work together and then it's show so it. It's Oh, thank you. Yeah. Yeah, there's going to be objects. There's going to be like a whole robot choir. They're going to, there's going to be like 10 of them. We're doing it together with this artist from San Francisco, Cal Spelletus. She's building the robots. I'm doing the heads and I composed like this kind of choir together with Alexander, my husband. Um, and so it's going to be like people can push the buttons of the different robots and depending on that, create their own choir. So that's going to be fun. And I'm doing a couple of other objects I've been working on for a long time, small ones. And yeah, it's going to be like a collection of my art, of my um, objects, of my music and film. And I really want to kind of have the people that come and see it understand um, in what way all of these different medias belong together. Like a lot of the paintings are going to have music that you can listen to. So because a lot of people ask me, you know, um, you do all these different things, you know. Um, I mean, I met you. I met you as a writer, having read your Berlin um, memoir, right? The Beauty of Transgression, right? And it's yeah. Chris Bone from The Wire who sort of put me in touch with you. Said you should meet Danielle. Right? Yeah. And then you sent me those books, and I was like, wow, this is brilliant. I really want to meet you. And then you were doing your graphic novel yeah. that was about your nomad life. And you're just about to do another graphic novel that sort of follows that up. But kind of this, this artwork, it's so folklore, sort of cyberpunk, sort of folklore, gypsy, kind of traveling, sort of sadomasochistic. <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> I mean, there's so much, That's a nice so, description. There's so much symbolism <laughs> on them. Like, yeah. um, it, they're brilliant. And they're so female and fabulous, too. You know, they're kind of freaky. <laughs> they really are. They remind me of this girl, Stefan Wrightsfitz from The Lagun. They really remind me of her stuff, too. But, but this is colourful and fabulous and haunting. Yeah. Good. Yeah. <laughs> I like it to be haunting. But, you know, words are the basis of everything that I do. I mean, um, the like the most inspiring things for me have always been in literature. Mm -hmm. And it's influenced everything, like all my art, all my films, all my music. It's always been literature or words. Mm -hmm. So I kind of want to get that across in the exhibition um, and also in a way get across that all these different medias are just different ways of expressing a certain feeling. It's like, you know, you use fork and knife to eat in a glass. It's kind of like that, but it's all one thing. So I'm hoping to be able to put it together in a way that that's understandable. Because people often, when you're, when you're an inter interdisciplinary artist, are like, so, but what are you really you know, or what's the most important thing, or why do you do so many different things? And they're like, it's all one. And it's really, it's, it's quite difficult to explain that um, if you don't see it together. And I've usually, you know, I've done shows where I projected my visuals, or I've done exhibitions where I showed my pictures, my paintings, my illustrations, my drawings. Um, and then my books obviously have drawings of my paintings. But 
in this exhibition, I really kind of hope to be able to really portray how everything belongs together. And as it does... That would be amazing. Yeah. If you can communicate that. I know. Yeah. 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 It's kind of what I've set myself up to... Because they all fit together. You know, they everything, do. Everything sort of, everything fits together. And you did it with the Deliverance solo album, doing that as a book of your illustrations with a vinyl inside it. And then, you know, the, the tour thing that you were doing with that, of having the videos of the paintings right. behind you, there's an element of it all coming together. And everyone's like, oh, wow, I love those videos. Yeah. 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 So I'm hoping that that's going to, you know turn out the way I'm envisioning it because um, I'd love to do more stuff like that where it's really like installations with all of this stuff inside. It's kind of what I've been working up to for the last decades. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it'd be perfect because then I don't have to concentrate only on one, but I can always do like a whole universe within itself of all these mm. different medias to express one feeling. That's kind of what I'm hoping um, yeah, I mean, when you think of how far that could go, that that could be yeah yeah next level yeah. kind of yeah exactly yeah. So it takes time. I mean, you have to learn each medium to do it really well. Like you know, I worked for years on trying to find the kind of painting or visual expression that kind of really represents me because I do work with colors, but then again, I work with ink, and the colors are a little bit more. You know, they're wilder. The ink is very perfectionist. It's very, um, it's like old-fashioned book illustrations. And to bring that together was really difficult. So I worked on that for years. Then I worked on years in trying to find the sounds for my music and the style of music. I used to have a hip-hop band, which also deals with words, which was really important for me. But um, hip-hop wasn't really my, I didn't really feel it was... 100% me, then I discovered trip hop, which I really love because it has that surreal element, which is also in my art. Um, and what I do now with the spoken word and with the violin that I learned when I was six. So it's kind of like all falling into place, but it kind of shows you how long it takes to, mm -hmm. to you know, find your own real expression. It's just, I mean, at least for me, I, I take forever. <laughs> I just always take the long road. Uh, Always. I, I don't know about that because you've been amazingly prolific. Uh, you know, just sitting in here with all these things around that you've created. There's, it's not like you've not been doing anything. Is it? No. <laughs> yeah. I've always you, been doing like, oh, it. Oh, have you made another album, Daniel? <laughs> oh, yeah. What's this one? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But still, you know, it takes time until you really feel that you've achieved the first step of really being happy with something sure. that you're doing you know I mean yeah. for years I was very very um, dissatisfied with everything I did because not because it was necessarily bad but because it wasn't portraying my inner vision you mm -hmm. know it's just like it's like no this is not the way I wanted to. it's like there's something missing and then working on that and and if you're working in all these different areas, you have to do it in every area, you know. So it, it does take time. But I feel that I've kind of achieved that in the way that I'm pretty happy with um, the different styles I now have created. And now what I have to do is bring it together. Mm. That's kind of like, you know, for me, the next, next step of really presenting the complete universe. <laughs> Mm. 
And we'll see what happens. Mm. I mean, it's the same thing with Alex and me, you know. It took us, we started doing music together in 2001. Mm. I started doing music when I was in, in 1990. Mm. Um, it took me from 1990 to 2001 to find a partner whom I could do the kind of music I really wanted to do. Mm. And then it took us from 2001 until 2010 to figure out what kind of music exactly we wanted to do. And now we've figured it out. And now we're just, you know, once you figure it out, it's really easy. Just yeah. like one album after the other just comes out. And do you work together easily? Does um, it happen fast or is it a... Well, this album was really fast. Yeah. We had four weeks to yeah, compose. Record and you can hear the different elements of his work. Yeah, you know, thank you. Hacker from Neubarton. Yeah, you can hear that element of it. Yeah, and you can hear this kind of freaky folk of of you. you Yeah, you can hear. hear the different the different bits that I reckon that you've done. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It it works well. Yeah, Mm -hmm. I mean, it took ten years for us to figure it out. But now we've figured it out, and now it's it's actually pretty easy because mm. we each know, you know, we're pretty much opposites in everything. Mm. Like he's really, really good rhythmically, and he's totally, um, he's like a perfectionist with rhythm. With him, it's like all about counting, and it's got to be in time and all that. And I'm like the exact opposite. I don't care about counting at all. For me, it's all, you know, melodies and sound and abstractism. And and so both of us kind of put it together and it's got everything it needs, which is kind of great. Before, it's really strong. It's a really strong piece. You know, it really flows as well. Thanks. So, yeah. yeah. And the style of it, it goes from, the, you know, it takes you on a ride. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. 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 Thanks. Yeah, it's it's a trip. It's kind of, kind of got everything we feel about what's happening at the moment. Yeah. With us and with yeah. the world. Yeah. Yeah. And it's funny, you know, because we actually wanted to do a light album. <laughs> and we actually thought it was until people started telling us, this is really dark. <laughs> we were really, we thought it was actually quite you know, light. <laughs> Seriously. The first, when we got the first record um, Review. reviews, yeah. they're like, it's great. It's really dark. We're like, dark? It's almost comical. <laughs> Nobody understood us. I guess we have a dark sense of humor, too. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's funny. It is. Nowadays, you don't know what's dark anymore, what's light. <laughs> yeah, that would be the other thing anyway. So, yeah. mm. Mm. And then, so for the rest of the year, you've got that, and you've got your... So, yeah, you've got this amazing album, and then you've got your amazing sort of retrospective Berlin show in October. September. September. Yeah. Okay, September. When, does that, what, when does that open? On the um, 12th. Yeah. And it ends on the third. Okay, yeah. right. So you're going to be part of the finissage. Oh, the finissage. Yes. yes. Boy, boy, that will be fun. Oh, yeah, it will yeah. be fun. Yeah. And I'm inviting all my favorite people to come and speak and do panels. Yeah. And, um, yeah, do little shows and little performances. So 
I really want to be kind of like, you know, I want people to have the feeling that they're entering my world and getting to know my friends and, and mm -hmm. you know, all those different things. Mm -hmm. So, and I mean, the, the gallery is a really, really great place. It's, it's kind of like a, um, it's one of the oldest artist squats in Berlin, which is not a squat anymore. It's an established cultural space, but the dead chickens, the artist groups that runs it, are just fantastic. They've managed to do both, you know, to be underground and established. And um, it's just so much fun working with them because for them, it's all about art. Mm -hmm. And the whole building is full of art and objects and artists. And it's in the middle of Berlin. It's one of the most expensive real estate pieces of the city. And it's, it's artists working there. So it's pretty amazing. And it's an honor to be there too. So I'm really looking forward to that. Yeah, it's a great shot next door to yeah. the, uh, the gallery, the New Exhibition. Yeah. Is it New Exhibition, am I saying? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 It's fantastic. Yeah. The whole area is great. You can, mm. you know, the Anna Frank Museum is right next mm. to it. So you get a really good impression of what Berlin used to be like and what Berlin is now. Mm. And there's a lot of young kids working there too. So it's the future. It's kind of like, you know, the past, present and future all in one. Mm. And it's always inspiring to do stuff with them. I'm really, really looking mm. forward to that. Mm. Spending a lot of time, all of September there. Mm. And I'm also going to be presenting my new graphic novel in September. So there's going to be like a lot of... Um, what's that, what, where are you going with that? Do you want to talk about that? Yeah. Or uh, can, no. Or just, no, just order it. Pre-order it if that's available. Yeah, can, I can. I know yeah. it's going to be fun to read. Yeah. Because um, it is biographical okay. again. But out of a different time of my life, mm -hmm. and um, there's going to be a lot of um, interesting little tidbits, which um, I think people are going to have fun reading. Cool. <laughs> but I can't really um, disclose anything more at the moment. Excellent, <laughs> excellent. But yeah, get on a pre-order, and if it, you know, in preparation, read the beauty of transgression, and we are gypsies now. Your first. Uh, first graphic novel, right? Yeah. 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 All right, so check out all of Danielle's great music on her band camp and on the Neuburst and which I'm probably saying wrong as well. No. Um on the on that site too. And yeah, thank you for your time this oh, evening. Thank you. So yeah, that's uh, Danielle de Bidgiotto. I can't recommend getting into her enough. There's plenty of it. And Gilda Ray and I also cameo for a few seconds aside John Robb on her new Hacker de Bidgiotto album. You can find that on Bandcamp. She's a gift of a friend and we played aside each other at HKW and the Volksbühne in Berlin and at the Social in London. So find out more about her or on neubauten.org. Our first conversation is transcribed and available in full on coldlips.co.uk in the archive. And that was when we met after she'd done something at Red Gallery and we kind of met and recorded a conversation. She was very transitory at that point and writing her first graphic novel about that process of kind of living as a digital nomad. So touring, which is not too different to how she's currently living. Uh, so yeah, thank you for listening. I'm Kirsty Allison and you can find out more about me on kirstyallison.com. It takes a lot of money, a lot of time, a lot of effort to create all of this and keep it online and keep
keep the faith. So if you can throw us some cash, that's how we do it. Buy some work. Thank you.